Hi everyone, this is Kina Wolfenstein and you're listening to the Complex Trauma Recovery Podcast. I am recording this episode on Christmas morning because why not? I took a little bit of a hiatus these last couple months. Um, I did pass my LCSW exam back in November, so that's some exciting news. I have a few more steps I need to take with uh, filing paperwork and finishing a couple more supervision hours and then I should be able to file for my LCSW very soon, so that's super exciting exciting. Um, And I also got to go on a vacation for the first time in a long time, which was really nice. So I'm back and kind of getting back into the the flow of things. So the kind of the new season of the podcast that I have in mind is to kind of step away from the interviews and do more uh, solo episodes for a while. I might still have a couple people on to interview here and there, but it, it does take more work to coordinate and the episodes tend to be a lot longer. So I figured it would be nice to just do maybe some shorter episodes where I can just talk to you guys about what I've been thinking about and, and different relevant topics. So that's the plan for now. Um, before I jump into it today, just a couple show notes. So my link tree will be posted in the podcast description. If anyone feels like supporting the show and gaining access to a bunch of bonus content, you can subscribe to my Patreon. It really helps so much, really helps support me being able to continue to make content. And I have a bunch of different stuff on there, workshops and educational videos and role play videos and all kinds of stuff. So you can check that out. I also have a number of other resources in my link tree, including my practice website, a recommended reading list, my mailing list and some other things. So if you feel like it, you can go ahead and check that out. So today, what I wanted to talk about, and I I think I've probably mentioned this before in other episodes, but I wanted to just kind of deep dive into it a little bit more, um, is the idea of how we make meaning and interpret the meaning of traumatic events and how that is really what lingers like long term in terms of complex PTSD. So, you know, I've talked before a little bit about how memories like the traumatic memories themselves are not typically what needs to be focused on and reprocessed in therapy and that doesn't mean we won't talk about them at all but it's kind of a common misconception about trauma therapy that it's about like these specific memories these specific events that need to be reprocessed and that can be the case sometimes when it comes to more like acute incident based trauma So if someone has, you know, a really standout traumatic event, like they're like, oh, I got in this horrible car accident or something and I thought I thought I was going to die. And yeah, so maybe that's an event and that fear and that that feeling afraid for your life needs to be reprocessed. But especially when we're looking at complex PTSD, you know, relational attachment based developmental trauma, it tends to look a little different. And instead of there being these kind of incident based to like acute memories that need to be reprocessed. There were so many little things that happened that were really baked into the dynamics that you grew up with. Like it's it's relational, right? And so that kind of trauma happens in an ongoing prolonged context. And what that means is that like let's say even if there were some really specific traumatic things that happened within those contexts, like there was sexual sexual abuse or there was physical abuse or verbal abuse or, you know, other really difficult things that took place, most likely just repeating kind of the autobiographical memory of what happened is not going to really be the focus of trauma therapy because it's not about the autobiographical memory of what happened. It's about what those memories meant. So when I'm talking about like how we make meaning and how we interpret traumatic events, I feel like I always say that word weird, interpret, interpret. Um, 
when, I, when I'm saying that that's the most important thing, it's because that is what creates these long-term emotional learnings for us, right? So I'll talk a little bit about sexual abuse, actually. It's, it's interesting because I've worked quite a bit with people that experience childhood sexual abuse. And 99% of the time, what needs to be reprocessed is how the family responded, to the sexual abuse or how the client felt um, within the family system. So often the things that are the most deeply impactful about that kind of trauma, it's not maybe the specifics of what happened. It's the fact that, and I was told it was my fault and I was shamed for it and I wasn't believed and I wasn't helped and I wasn't protected, right? And so what did I learn from that? I learned from the way that people responded to what happened that I'm not worth protecting or that I'm, you know, gross or dirty or shameful or that um, I should just, you know, swallow my discomfort and, and keep secrets to keep everyone else happy or whatever those learnings are. That's what really sticks with people most of the time. And I'm just using sexual abuse as an example, but it's the same for all other kinds of you know, relational trauma as well. Um, If there was physical abuse, like a lot of the times it's not, you know, just the memories of being physically hurt that stand out. It's the emotional meaning of like, and I felt so alone and I felt like um, no one was there to protect me or take care of me, right? It's those kinds of things that really stick with us long-term. And when we're looking at it from kind of like the neuroscience perspective, I've talked before on here about like the implicit learning network, right? And so our our brain is meant to, our brain is literally built to learn from traumatic events. When we have a painful or intense or traumatic experience, our brain is meant to go, okay, what does this mean? What do I need to learn about the world, about myself, about other people so I can kind of make sense of this and keep myself safe moving forward, right? Um, And so in those moments, we are learning. We're learning something. And a lot of the times those learnings are implicit, right? So they might not be fully conscious. They might not be like words that we think to ourselves, but that felt sense is developing. And that, that implicit felt sense is what trauma survivors are still carrying, right? We're still carrying that feeling of being alone or ashamed or unprotected or, you know, whatever the case may be. So when I am doing trauma processing with people, that's one of the main questions that we're going to be exploring, especially if someone brings up a traumatic memory or brings up something specific that they went through. I'm not going to be asking, oh, and then what happened? And then what happened? And, you know, what were the details? I'm going to be asking, what did that mean to you? How, how were you making sense of that as a child while it was happening? Um, and I, I'll talk a little bit about how do we make sense of these things. And there's a few things to keep in mind. So one, we make sense of things based on our developmental capacity. You know, a lot of how children interpret trauma is going to have to do. Oh, my God. Am I saying that word wrong? I don't know why I like I feel like I can't pronounce that word right. But a, a lot of how we make sense of trauma has to do with our developmental stage and just what our brain is kind of capable of at that time. So I've talked before about how, you know, children typically, there there are exceptions, but children typically are not meant to be able to have a really zoomed out kind of wide lens perspective on their parents and intergenerational trauma. So if their parents are not taking care of them or not being, you know, good parents, it's pretty unlikely that a young child especially is going to go, you know what? 
I don't think this has anything to do with me. This is just, you know, my parents have their own issues from childhood. It's not my fault. And they just aren't equipped to be parents. And right. So developmentally, that just typically isn't the case. How do kids see the world? I mean, typically it's completely normal for children to experience themselves as being kind of the center of the world. Right. We make things about us when we're kids. We think things are about us. You know, there's a natural tendency to take on uh, that that assumption that bad things are happening and it's somehow directly related to me and so or or good things are happening and it's somehow directly related to me right kids just don't have that zoomed out lens on their parents most of the time so that's that's part of it is that children are naturally going to think I've done something wrong you know for my parents to be treating me this way or I'm not a good kid or I'm too much or I'm too annoying or right they're going to make it about them They're not going to necessarily think, wow, my parents are really bad at regulating their emotions (laughs) or, you know, my parents are really just not good at knowing how to respond to my needs, but it's not my fault. I'm just a kid. I have normal needs. You know, Uh, one thing my my clinical supervisor used to say is, you know, bad bad kids have bad families like that. That's kind of the way that children will make sense of trauma a lot of the time. I must be a bad kid to have this bad family or this family where bad things are happening. So that's one thing to keep in mind is just developmental capacity. Um, Even when we're looking at it like a little bit older and we're not just looking at, you know, maybe like shame, but how do like, let's say, how does a 13 year old, you know, make sense of some really traumatic, catastrophic stuff happening? I actually just did a role play video on Patreon kind of showing like how I would work uh, experientially with some of these issues. And the topic that I chose was basically working with someone who has like really high anxiety and hypervigilance that traces back to when they were around 13 and their, you know, dad cheated on their mom and they, their family went through this catastrophic divorce and their experience that, you know, this is made up. I just wrote this, but it's, it's very real, you know, based on what I've experienced as a therapist, their, their experience of it was right. My whole world is falling apart. Like everything was okay and now everything is just completely falling apart. And so the kind of implicit learning that they got from that, it was a few things. It was like, you can't ever trust things to be okay. You know, at the whole, your whole life is just going to crumble at any moment. And then the second part of it was this learning of like, um, and I can't handle how painful it is when things fall apart so unexpectedly. So I'm just going to never relax. I'm just going to always be on edge, always waiting for the next bad bad thing to happen, the next shoe to drop, right? So in that example, a 13-year-old, you know, they are making sense of their family kind of falling apart in this way. And what their brain is doing is they're just generalizing it out to kind of the whole world. So there's you know, often when we're going through trauma, there's just difficulty holding like nuance and gray area. And that's especially true when we're young, like teenagers, you know, anyone with like a not fully developed brain is going to tend to have a little bit more, you know, black and white thinking. Um, And black and white thinking is also common in trauma, right? And so, you know, maybe this 13 year old goes, wow, like having this experience of, you know, my family unit kind of falling apart has now created this felt sense of the whole world that I just always need to be like bearing, you know, I just always need to be like in this tense, hypervigilant state prepared for the worst to happen because the worst is going to happen, you know. So that's another example of, of making meaning. It's like I took this traumatic thing that happened in my family and now that's my model for how the whole world works and for how I need to like navigate the world, right? 
I think I talked about this in a previous episode when we were talking about schemas and we were talking about how like a schema has two parts, right? It has a problem and a solution. Um, so the problem, we learn something about what to expect from the world and ourselves and other people. And then the solution is, okay, this is how I'm going to adapt in order to handle that. So in this example, the, you know, the problem is life is unstable. Things are going to fall apart. Anytime I'm happy and relaxed, you know, catastrophe is coming. And the solution is to just never let yourself be happy and relaxed, right? To just always be on edge, always be anxious. And in that way, the anxiety is coherent. The anxiety is functional and adaptive. So that's another example of making meaning. And it's based, again, on development, right? Um, So we're looking at how did your mind make sense of what happened based on where you were developmentally, based on, I guess, the messages and the influences around you, certainly. I mean, we, you know, we are very relational creatures, so we're going to absorb what people mirror to us. So if people are mirroring to us, you know, uh, certain, certain ways of looking at the world, that's going to affect it as well. And then the other thing that I keep in mind when I look up at meaning-making has to do with what we can tolerate and what's protective. Um, And I've spoken a little bit about this before as well in the context of shame. Like, what happens to a kid that accepts within themselves, you know what, this isn't my fault at all that my parents are acting this way. I just have bad parents that just don't know how to parent me. That's terrifying, right? Because you're stuck with those parents. You rely on those parents to care for you. And so it can actually be like adaptive and protective to develop a worldview where your parents are good. And I have had many, many, many clients, I've worked with a lot of people with complex trauma, where their brains were so desperate to protect that worldview, right? Like it was so important to protect the interpretation of the world that their parents were good people, that they were absorbing and internalizing so much shame. And that shame and that self-blame still felt safer right, than accepting that their parents were not able to take care of them or were not safe people. So shame can be protective in so many ways. Um, It's like my brain is kind of going to create the meaning that I can best tolerate and that helps me not feel totally helpless or powerless in the world, right? So if I think it's my fault, that means I can be a better kid. I can do something to make it better, right? Um, Generally, we are going to make meaning of things in ways that protect us from helplessness, powerlessness, grief, um, loss, you know, and how it is helpless and powerless to have to depend on parents that can't meet your needs. So that's that's a big basis of shame. So those are some of the main frameworks that I'm looking at. I'm looking at how is how did you make meaning of this based on your developmental stage? How did you make meaning on this based on what is like the safest to believe, the most kind of protective for you to believe? Um, And as we're exploring that, there's there's a few kind of major themes uh, that, that tend to come up. So I thought I would go through those real quick too. So meaning making... For, at least for me, what I've observed in my practice tends to fall into a few main categories. So one is these little predictive models that we have about how relationships work and how other people work, right? Um, I've also talked about the predictive models before on the episodes about coherence therapy, I think with Tori Olds and with uh, Sam Robinson. So we have these little predictive models that say, okay, you know, let's say you grow up with a parent who can't handle uh, their feelings well. And so you have a little predictive model that goes, when people are upset, 
they are cold and mean and they disconnect from you. And so that's, that's the little predictive model. That's the little emotional learning. When people are upset, that's pretty dangerous for me. That makes, I end up feeling totally alone in the world when people are upset. So what's the solution? Ah, I better make sure no one gets upset, right? I better do that thing where I'm hypervigilant of everyone's emotions and I walk on eggshells and I try to caretake for everybody. So predictive models about relationships are kind of like, how do people work, right? How do relationships work? What is expected of me in relationships? And how do I navigate that so I can best be safe and, and have my relational needs met? Um, so there's, there's those kinds of, of kind of emotional learnings. And then there are learnings about just how the world works. So this isn't necessarily relational, relationally based. This is just like, how does the world work? So the story I just told about that role play video that I did, that would be an example of that. Like the way the world works is that things fall apart horribly anytime I'm happy. Right. And so the solution is to always be hypervigilant. So we can have those kinds of emotional learnings where it's not about like specifically how people work it's kind of about more like existence and just life on like a a more grand scale and then we can also have these emotional learnings about who we are right ourselves as people and that has a lot to do with the mirroring thing you know so developmentally we need mirrors we need healthy mirrors to help us develop a sense of identity and a sense of self, right? And so if you have healthy parents and healthy caregivers, you're going to have people mirroring back to you who you are as a person in kind of like a well-rounded way. Um, But if you have unhealthy caregivers, you're either going to have insufficient mirroring. So in in the case of neglect, like you're just not going to be getting the mirroring back that you need. Or you're going to have really like distorted, cruel, disconnected mirroring, right? You're going to have people mirroring back to you like, really negative views of yourself and so that that's kind of the third kind of meaning making that I see is like who am I right um what you know what does it mean to be me and a lot of the times you know those messages are, are going to be shame-based or or just a learning that certain parts of you are not acceptable it's kind of like okay um, these parts of me are acceptable, but these parts aren't. I see that a lot also in like the context of religious trauma or people that come from really like uh, performance focused families, appearance focused families. It's like, okay, these parts of me are never going to get positive mirroring, but these parts of me do get positive mirroring. So I've just learned that there's certain aspects of myself that need to be totally suppressed and locked away and certain aspects that are going to get me connection and, and positive responses. So all kinds of different meanings that, that we can be looking for. Um, so when we are doing the trauma processing, right, we're exploring what, what does this mean? And usually I kind of ask it in multiple ways to try to get at those different layers. So I might ask clients, yeah, what did that mean about you? And what did that mean about other people? And what did that mean about life and about the world? Right? Like, let's start to really get a sense of what are you kind of developing as your map of reality, Uh, and what it means to be a human based on these experiences. And then those learnings, those ways that we make meaning of things, those are the targets for kind of the reprocessing or the memory reconsolidation work because we're not going to change the memories of what happened, right? Like the memories are there, um, the, the trauma is there. But what we can try to change is the meaning, especially when those meanings were developed based on being developmentally young and not having that big zoomed out perspective. And so we never want to rush in or try to like force or push those perspectives to change, right? We're not, not doing any cognitive reframing type stuff, 
But instead, we want to really hold compassionate space for what was learned. I mean, it's a great, I think, to do like inner child work and parts work with that kind of thing. We really want to hold those those meanings with a lot of like tenderness and compassion because they did, they felt so real um, and they have you know, often formed someone's map of the world that they've been using to navigate life for a really long time. So it's not that simple to just, you know, fix it or or change it. So we want to hold those meanings with a lot of compassion, allow for, you know, whatever feelings need to come up about that. And then when someone's ready, eventually we can kind of start nudging in the direction of, you know, and what it, what is your adult perspective on this? Like, what do you see now with your adult eyes now that you can zoom out? And a lot of the times it'll, that's where we'll feel that kind of dissonance or that disconnect, right? Is it's like, yeah, with my adult eyes, I can see that I, you know, really am not like at fault for what happened. Or with my adult eyes, I can see that my parents, you know, were just not equipped to be parents and it never had anything to do with me. But my inner child carries that shame. You know, my inner child still carries the feeling that I should have been different somehow to, to get the love that I needed as just one example, right? Uh, So that's eventually where we kind of go is like, let's almost hold space for both, right? Let's kind of swing back and forth. What did you learn as a kid? What felt true then? And what feels true now? What can you sense now and see now that you weren't able to before? And when we have that duality, like when we have those two sides of things, eventually we can kind of work towards like integration where it's like, okay, how do we now help give your inner child this perspective that adult you has? And there's a lot of different, you know, experiential exercises that I I like to do that kind of work. Um, But I wanted to just kind of give you guys like the general framework for for how I see the process of trauma therapy. And this is a huge part of it. And I mean, yeah, there's there's other things, too. You know, there's um, learning how to feel safe in your body and there's lots of self-compassion work and there's, you know, sometimes there are specific memories that need to be reprocessed and there's, you know, there, there's nuance, so I don't want to oversimplify it, but I would say that what I talked about in this episode is like 85% of the, the trauma therapy process in my experience. Um, and it's where the work can be really, really deep and really, really powerful. So if you are, you know, on your own healing journey, maybe ask yourself those questions, you know, what would it be like when, when you're thinking about these different memories or different hard things that you've been through to explore? Like, what did that mean to me? What did that mean? What did I learn about myself, about the world, about other people? And go from there. So I hope you guys found this episode helpful. I'm going to try to continue posting pretty regularly, um, probably a few times a month, because I also am going to continue posting on Patreon. So I hope everyone has a good holidays and a happy new year. And thank you for listening.